Chapter Two, Part G of Greener Than You Think. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Greener Than You Think by Ward Moore. Chapter Two, Part G. For some reason, the committee was not attempting to get the story of the grass in chronological order. When I arrived, the six distinguished gentlemen were trying to find out all about the crude oil poured, apparently without effect, in what now seems so long ago, but which actually had been less than two weeks before. Flanked on either side by his colleagues, the little black plug of his hearing aid sticking out like a misplaced unicorn's horn, was the chairman, Senator Jones, his loose-skinned old fingers resting lightly on the bright table, the nails square and ridged the flesh brown-spotted. He adjusted a pair of gold-rimmed spectacles, quickly found the improvement in his vision unpleasant, and rumbled, "'What did it cost the taxpayers?' On the stand, the chief of police was settled in great discomfort, so far forward on the rounded edge of his chair that his balance was a source of fascinated speculation to the gallery." He squirmed a perilous half-inch forward, but before he had time to reply, old Judge Robinson of the State Supreme Court, who scorned any palliation of his deafness such as Senator Jones condescended to, cupped his left ear with his hand and shrieked, "'Eh? Eh? What's that? Speak up, can't you? Don't sit there mumbling!' Assemblyman Brown, head of the legislature's anti-racketeering committee, intense concentration expressed in the forward push of his vigorous shoulders and the creased lines on his youthful forehead, asked if it were not true that the oil had been held up by a union jurisdictional dispute. There was a spattering of applause from the listeners at this adroit question, and one man in the back of the room cried, "Shank!" and then sat down quickly. Attorney General Smith wanted to know just who had ordered the oil in the first place, and whether the property owners had given their consent to its application. The Attorney General's square face, softened and rounded by fat, shone on the wriggling chief like a Klieg light. His lips, irresistibly suggesting twin slices of underdone steak, parting into a pleasant smile when his question had concluded. The other two members of the committee seemed about to inquire further, when the chief managed to stammer, he was awfully sorry, gentlemen, but he had been out of town and hadn't even heard of the oil till this moment. He was instantly dismissed from the stand, and a new witness from the mayor's office was called, with no happier results. He, too, was about to be excused when Dr. Johnson, who represented science on the committee, descended from Himalayan abstraction to demand what effect the oil had had on the grass. There were excited whisperings and craning of feminine heads as Dr. Johnson propounded his question. The interest he excited was, however, largely vicarious, for he was famous, not so much in his own right, as in being the husband of the intelligencer's widely read society columnist, whose malapropisms caused more wry enjoyment and fearsome anticipation than an elopement to Nevada. "'And what effect did the oil have on the grass?' he repeated. The query caused confusion, for it seemed the committee could not proceed until this fact had been ascertained. Various technicians were sent for, and the doctor, tall, solemn, and benign, looked over his stiff, turned-down collar and the black string tie drooping around it, as though searching for some profound truth which would be readily apparent to him alone. 
the experts discoursed at some length in esoteric terms one even bringing a portable blackboard on which he demonstrated with diagrams the chemical geologic and mathematical aspects of the problem but no pertinent information was forthcoming till some minor clerk in the department of water and power who had only got to the stand through a confusion of names said boldly no effect whatever why not asked judge robinson was the oil adulterated speak up speak up don't mumble henry miller the southland's best-known realtor los angeles first in population by nineteen ninety nine who had connections in the oil industry as well as in citrus and walnut packing frowned disapprovingly the clerk said he didn't know but he might venture a guess senator jones informed him majestically that the committee was concerned with facts not speculations this created an impasse until attorney general smith tactfully suggested the clerk might be permitted to guess entirely off the record after the official stenographer had been commanded sternly not to take down a single word of conjecture the witness was allowed to advance the opinion that the oil hadn't killed the plant because it had never reached the roots eh questioned the learned judge looking as though neither his lunch nor breakfast nor for that matter any nourishment absorbed since the taft administration had agreed with him i'm a bit of a gardener myself gentlemen the witness assured them confidentially settling back comfortably i putter around my own place saturdays and sundays and i know what devil grass is like I can well imagine a bunch of it twenty or twenty-five feet high could be coated with many, many gallons of oil without a drop seeping down into the ground. Mr. Miller said, magisterially, Not really good American oil. But no one paid attention, knowing that he was commenting not as a member of the committee, but in his other capacity as the head of an organization to promote brotherhood and democracy by deporting all foreign-born and the descendants of foreign-born to their original countries. Everyone was only too happy to have the oil matter concluded at any cost, and after the stenographer was ordered to resume his labors, the next witness was called. Albert Weiner i hope i may never again have to submit to the scrutiny of twelve such merciless eyes i cast my own down at the brown linoleum until every stain and ink spot was impressed ineradicably on my mind senator jones finally broke the tension by asking what is your name judge robinson enjoined speak up speak up don't mumble albert weiner i replied there was a faint sigh through the room. Everyone who read the Daily Intelligencer had heard of me. "'And what is your occupation, Mr. Weiner?' asked Henry Miller. "'Salesman, sir,' I answered automatically, forgetting my present connection with the newspaper, and he smiled at me sympathetically. "'You belong to a so-called trades union?' inquired Assemblyman Brown. I will ask the Honorable Mr. Brown to modify his question by having the word so-called struck from it. I will inform the Honorable Attorney General that my question stands exactly as I phrased it, rejoined Assemblyman Brown sharply. I remind the Attorney General I myself am a member in good standing of a legitimate union, 
namely the International Brotherhood of Embalmers, Morticians, Grave Diggers, and Helpers, and when I asked the witness if he belonged to a so-called trade union, I was referring to any one of those groups of red conspirators who attempt to strangle the economic body by interfering with the normal course of business and mulcting honest citizens of tributary dues before they can pursue their livelihoods. Judge Robinson cupped his ear again and glared at me. "'Speak up, man! Stop mumbling!' "'I don't belong to any union,' I answered, as soon as there was a chance for my words to be heard. Senator Jones took a notebook from his pocket, consulted it, put it back, scribbled something on the pad in front of him, tore it up, looked at his notebook again, and asked, "'What is your connection with this, um, grass?' "'I applied Miss Francis's metamorphizer to it, sir,' I answered." "'Nonsense!' said Judge Robinson sharply. "'Explain yourself,' demanded Attorney General Smith. "'Tell us just what this stuff is and how you applied it,' suggested Henry Miller. "'Don't mumble!' ordered Judge Robinson. "'I'm sorry, gentlemen, I don't know exactly what it is. "'You'll have to ask Miss Francis that, but—' Senator Jones interrupted me. You mean to say you applied a chemical to someone's lawn, a piece of valuable property, without knowing its contents? he asked sternly. Well, Senator, I began, do you habitually act in this irresponsible manner? Senator, I... Don't you understand, sir, that consequences necessarily follow actions? What sort of world would this be if everyone rushed around blindly using things of whose nature they were completely unaware? Don't mumble! warned Judge Robinson. I began to feel very low indeed, and could only say haltingly, I acted in good faith, gentlemen, when Mr. Miller kindly recommended that I be excused, since I had evidently given all the information at my command. Subject to recall, growled Attorney General Smith. Oh, certainly, sir, certainly, agreed Mr. Miller, and I was thankfully released from my ordeal. "'Josephine Spencer Francis!' I cannot say Miss Francis had made any concessions in her appearance in deference to the committee, for she looked as though she had come straight from her kitchen, a suspicion strengthened by the strand of grass she carried in her fingers and played with absently throughout. She appeared quite at home as she settled herself in the chair, scanning with the greatest interest the faces of the committeemen, as if she were memorizing each feature for future reference. The honorable body returned her scrutiny with sharply individual emphasis. The attorney general smiled pleasantly at her. Judge Robinson looked more sour than ever and grunted, Woman! Mistake! Senator Jones bowed toward her with courtesy. Assemblyman Brown gave her a sharp once-over. Mr. Miller pursed his lips in amusement, and Dr. Johnson gazed at her in horrified fascination. Senator Jones bowed for a second time and inquired her name. He received the information and chewed it meditatively. Miss Francis took out her gold toothpick, considered the etiquette of using it, and regretfully put it away in time to hear the Attorney General's question. Mrs. or Miss Francis? Miss, she replied gruffly. Virgo intacta. Senator Jones drew back as if attacked by a wasp. Attorney General Smith said, Hmm, very loudly, and looked at Assemblyman Brown, who looked blank. 
Dr. Johnson's nose raised itself a perceptible inch, and Judge Robinson, sensing a sensation among his colleagues, shouted, "'Speak up, madam! Don't mumble!' Mr. Miller, who hadn't been affected, inquired, "'What is your occupation, Miss Francis?' "'Agristological engineer, specializing in chemical research.' "'How's that again?' Judge Robinson managed to put into the simple gesture of cupping his ear a devastating condemnation of Miss Francis, women in general, science, and present-day society. She politely repeated herself. "'Astrology? What's that got to do with the grass? Do you cast horoscopes?' "'Agristology,' Dr. Johnson murmured to the ceiling." "'Will you please explain in simpler terms just what you do?' requested Attorney General Smith. "'Local statutes against fortune-telling!' burst out Judge Robinson. "'I have spent my life studying reactions of plants to the lighter elements and the effects of certain compounds on their growth, reproduction, and metabolism.' Judge Robinson removed his hand from behind his ear and rubbed his skull irritably. Assemblyman Brown complained, "'There's entirely too much talk about reaction.' Dr. Johnson inspected a paneled wall with no interest whatever, and Senator Jones stated pontifically, "'You are an agricultural chemist.' Miss Francis smiled at him amiably. "'Agriculture is a broad field, and I farm one small corner of it.' Attorney General Smith leaned forward with interest. "'From what university did you obtain your degrees, Miss Francis?' She slouched back comfortably to look more cylindrical than ever. "'None,' she stated baldly. "'Hey! Mumble!' Senator Jones said, "'I'm afraid I did not quite understand your reply, madam. "'I hold no degrees, honors, or diplomas whatever, "'and I have not wasted one second of my life "'in any college, university, academy, "'or other alleged institution of learning.' The degrees good enough for Roger Bacon, Erasmus, Darwin, Lavoisier, Linnaeus, and Lamarck are good enough for me. I am a questioner, gentlemen, a learner, not a collector of alphabetical letters which, strung together in any form your fancy pleases, continue eternally to spell nothing whatever. Sensation one of the experts who had been waiting patiently to testify folded his arms and said in a loud voice, "'This is what comes of tolerating women in the professions!' Another muttered, "'Charlatan! Ridiculous! Dangerous thing! Shameful! Sex!' Two elderly ladies in broadcloth coats with fur collars, later identified as crusaders for anti-vivisection, cheered feebly and were promptly ejected." Senator Jones took off his spectacles, polished them exhaustively, tried to put them on upside down, gave up, and stated gravely, "'This is an extraordinary admission, Miss um, Francis.' "'It is not an admission at all. It is a statement of fact. As for its irregularity, I take the liberty of believing we unlettered ones are in the majority rather than minority.' Judge Robinson warned, "'Could be cited for contempt, Miss.' <clears throat> Dr. Johnson said sharply, "'Nonsense, madam, even a, even a tree surgeon has more respect for learning.' Mr. Miller leaned slightly over the table. "'Do you realize that in your ignorant dabbling you have ruined hundreds of property owners and taxpayers?' 
I thought there was some law against practicing without a license, speculated Assemblyman Brown. There is apparently no law applying intelligence qualifications for members of the legislature, remarked Miss Frances pleasantly. Senator Jones lifted his gavel, idle until now, and banged it on the table, smashing his spectacles thoughtlessly placed in front of him a moment before. This did nothing to appease his rising color. Silence, madam. We have perhaps been too lenient in deference to your, um, sex. I'll remind you that this body is vested with all the dignity of the state of California. Unless you apologize instantly, I shall cite you for contempt. I beg the committee's pardon. The investigators held a whispered conference among themselves, evidently to determine whether this equivocal apology was to be accepted. Apparently it was, for Dr. Johnson now asked loftily and with an abstracted air, as though he already knew the answer and considered it beneath notice, what was this magic formula you caused to be put on the grass? Malicious spirits averred that Dickie Johnson had flunked out of agricultural school, had an obscure European diploma, and that his fame as a professor at Creighton University was based on the gleaming granite and stainless steel building dedicated to research in agronomy, which bore the legend Johnson Foundation over the entrance. No one hearing him pronounce magic formula, putting into the word all the contempt of the scientist for the quack, could ever put credence in the base slander. What was this magic formula you caused to be put on the grass? he repeated. Miss Frances reeled off a list of elements so swiftly I'm sure no one but the stenographer caught them all. I know I didn't get more than half, though I was sitting less than five feet from her. Magnesium, she stated. Iodine, carbon, nitrogen, hydrogen, helium, potash, sulfur, oxygen. Dr. Johnson seemed to have known its composition since grammar school days. Senator Jones asked, And what effect did you expect this extraordinary conglomeration to have? She repeated what she had told me at first and the deductions she had made since. Dr. Johnson smiled. A true man of science, he stated, one who has labored for years to acquire those degrees you affect to despise, would have been trained in selfless devotion to the service of mankind, would never have made whatever gross error your ignorance, heightened by projection into a sphere for which you are probably biologically unfitted, though this is perhaps controversial, has betrayed you into. For had you freely shared your work with colleagues, they would have been able to correct your mistakes, and this catastrophe brought on by selfish greed, a catastrophe which has already cost millions, would not have occurred. The entire committee, including Dr. Johnson himself, seemed pleased with this indictment. Attorney General Smith looked inquiringly at the witness as though inviting her to answer that if she could. Miss Frances evidently took the invitation literally, for she addressed herself directly to Dr. Johnson. I do not know, doctor, where these beautiful and eminently sensible ideals you have so eloquently outlined are practiced, where scientists, regardless of biological fitness, share with each other their advances from moment to moment, and so add to the security of civilization from day to day. 
is it in the great research foundations whose unlimited funds are used to lure promising young men to their staffs much as athletes used to be given scholarships by universities anxious to improve the physical qualities of american youth is it in the experimental laboratories of great industries where technological advances are daily suppressed locked away in safes so profits may not be diminished by the expensive retooling necessary to put these advances into effect or is it in a field closer to my own in chemical research pure science if you like where truly secrets are shared on an international scale in order to build up the cartels which choke production by increasing prices and promote those industries which thrive on international ill-will. Assemblyman Brown rose to his feet and said in measured tones, This woman is a paid agent of the Communist International. I have heard such rantings from demagogues on street corners. I demand the committee listen to no more of this propaganda. Mr. Miller gave a polite wave of his hand toward the assemblyman, indicating at once full agreement with what the legislator said, and apology for pursuing his questioning of Miss Francis. He then asked the witness sternly, What is your real name? I'm afraid I don't quite understand. The only name I have is Josephine Spencer Francis, and so far as I know it is thus written on my birth certificate. Birth certificate, eh? Where were you born? Speak up, don't mumble! Russia, without a doubt, muttered Assemblyman Brown. You're sure it isn't Francisky or Franciscovich? Or say, Finkelstein? My name is not Finkelstein, although I do not find myself terrified of that combination of syllables. I was born in Moscow. Another sensation. I thought so, screamed Judge Robinson triumphantly. Aha, exclaimed Senator Jones profoundly. The leopard doesn't change his spots or the red his or her color, asserted Assemblyman Brown. A saboteur, yelled several of the spectators. Only Dr. Johnson seemed unimpressed with the revelation. He smiled contentedly. In Moscow, Idaho, concluded Miss Frances, picking her teeth with a flourish. Judge Robinson screeched, I? I? What's all this hubbub? Assemblyman Brown sneered, A very unlikely story. Attorney General Smith wanted it proven in black and white, while Senator Jones remarked Miss Francis's taste was on a level with her scholarship. She waved the toothpick toward the chairman and politely waited for either further questions or dismissal. All the while, her intense interest in each gesture of the inquisitors and every facet of the investigation had not diminished at all. As she sat there patiently, her eyes darted from one to the other as they consulted, and only came to rest on Senator Jones when he spoke directly to her again. "'And what steps can you take to undo <clears throat> this?' "'So far, none,' admitted Miss Francis. "'But since this thing has happened, I have given all my time to experiment, hoping in some manner to reverse the action of the metamorphizer, and evolve a formula whereby the growth it induced will be inhibited.' 
I cannot say I am even on the right road yet, for you must recall I have spent my adult life going, as it were, in one direction, and it is now not a matter of merely retracing my steps, but of starting out for an entirely different destination, in a field where there are no highway maps and few compass points. I cannot say I am even optimistic of success, but it is not for want of trying, be assured of that. Another semi-silence while the committee conferred once more. Finally, Senator Jones spoke in grave and measured tones. It is a customary politeness in hearings of this nature to thank the witness for his helpfulness and cooperation. This courtesy I cannot with any sincerity extend to you, madam. It seems to me you have proven yourself the opposite of a good citizen, that you have set yourself up in your arrogance against all logical authority, and have presumed to look down upon the work and methods of men whose standing and ways of procedure are recognized by all sound people. By your conceit, madam, you have caused the death of young men, the flower of our state's manhood, who gave their lives in a vain attempt to destroy what your ignorance created. If I may be permitted a rather daring and perhaps harsh aside, I think this should strike you doubly, as a woman who has not brought forth offspring to carry on the work of our forefathers, and as one who with doubtful taste boasts of that sterility. I think the results of your so-called experiment should chasten you and make you heed the words of men properly qualified in a field where you are clearly not so. Someone in the back of the room applauded the senator's eloquence. Senator Jones, said Miss Frances, turning her eyes on him with the attention I knew so well, the look which meant she had found an interest for the moment excluding all others. You accuse me of what amounts to crime, or at least criminal folly, and I must answer that your accusations are at once both true and false. I have been foolish, but it was not in despising the constrictions and falsity of the academic world. I have flouted authority, but it was not the authority of the moving picture heroes, whose comic errors are perpetuated for generations like those of Pasteur, or so quietly repudiated the repudiation passes unnoticed like those of Lister, in order to protect a vested interest. The authority I have flouted in my arrogance, as you call it, is that authority all scientists recognized in the days when science was scientific, and called itself not boastfully by the name of all knowledge, but more humbly and decently, natural philosophy. That authority is what theologians term the will of God, others the life force, the immaterial principle, the common unconscious, or whatever you will. When I, along with all the academic robots whom you admire, denied that authority, we did not make ourselves as we thought men of pure science, but on the contrary, by deposing one master we invited in a horde of others. Since we could not submit to moral force, we submitted in our blind stupidity, we called it the rejection of metaphysical concepts, to financial force, to political force, to social force, 
and finally, since there was no longer any reward in itself for our speculations, we submitted to the lust for personal aggrandizement in fortune, in notoriety, in caste-bound irresponsibility, and even for the hypocritical backslapping of our fellows. In the counter-revolution known as the nineteenth century, we even repudiated the name of speculation, and it became a term of disrepute, like metaphysical. We went further than a mere disavowal of the name, we disavowed the whole process, and turned with disgust from the using of our minds to the use of our hands in a manner which would have revolted the most illiterate of Carpathian peasants. We extirpated the salivary glands of dogs in order to find out if they would slobber without them. We cut off the tails of mice to discover if the operation affected their great-grandchildren. We decapitated, emasculated, malnourished, and poisoned rodents against whom we had no personal animus for no other reason than to keep an elaborate apparatus in use. Even these pastimes failed to satisfy our undiscriminating appetite. Someone a little stupider, a little less imaginative, though such conditions must have been difficult indeed to achieve, invented what is called the control experiment, whereby, if theory tested be correct, half the subjects are condemned without trial to execution. These are my sins that in despising academic ends I did not despise academic means, that in repudiating the brainlessness of the professorial mind I did not attempt to use my own, because I was proud of the integrity which made me choose not to do the will of a research foundation or industrial empire, I overlooked the vital fact that I had also chosen not to do God's will, but what I stupidly thought to be my own. It was not. It was faint-heartedness, sloth, placation, doubt, vagueness, and romantical misconception. In a word, it was the aimlessness and falsity of the nineteenth century coming back in the window after having been booted out the door. My folly was a failure to recognize it. I have deluded myself. I have taken half-measures. I have followed false paths. Condemn me for these crimes. I am guilty. Attorney General Smith said acidly, This is neither a psychiatrist's consulting room, a confessional, nor a court of law. I suggest the witness be excused and her last hysterical remarks expunged from the record. It is so ordered, ruled Senator Jones. And now, gentlemen, we shall recess until tomorrow. End of chapter 2